Let's turn to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. I want to talk to, want to, talk to us tonight about... <laughs> it's going to sound bad, <laughs> maybe on the surface level, but being faithless. Being faithless. And I don't mean that we are faithless, but... How many knows we live in a faithless, faithless generation right now? We are surrounded by people who don't have faith in anything in regards to God, but they have faith in themselves, they have faith in whatever their group, their circle is, who's helping them run in maybe demonic circle, or maybe they're putting their faith in the government, which is not a wise thing to do. Maybe they're putting their faith in a political party. Maybe they're putting their faith in their job or their boss or Maybe they're putting their faith some, somewhere that's not God, and it is not going to benefit them. Amen. But if we're, if we're not careful, the world and the culture today will try to weasel its way into our life and pull our faith out of the things of God and toward the things of the world. And that may not be the message, and I will see how the Holy Spirit wants to lead us and exactly hone in on what He wants to say tonight. But as we're going to see from this example that we're about to read from Mark chapter 9, if, if we are grouped in with the faithless generation, our lives, for lack of a better way to put it, are going to be pure hell. If we, if we don't apply faith and not only believe it, but speak it and live it, then our lives will be consumed by hell and the things of hell that will have a field day in our life and what we do with our life. As we're about to see here from this example in Mark chapter 9. So we're going to start at verse 14. Mark 9, 14. It says, And when he came to his disciples, speaking of Jesus, he saw a great multitude. So he's going to his disciples, but he has this great multitude in front of him. And it says they are about them. So that means there's this great multitude circling or encompassing or however you want to say it his disciples and the scribes questioning them disputing them so already you've got jesus's disciples so his core group then you have this great multitude but in the middle of that you've got these scribes or we would say the religious leaders who are really <laughs> hypocrites that really they scribe they write down the word of god and they make it available in that regard for the temple for the religious leaders but when it comes to really living it out, they don't do it that well. <laughs> Which sounds like a lot of religiosity. They don't really live it out, but they're good at knowing it. They're good at quoting it, but they're not good at living it. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. So the religious attitude or the spirit of religiosity is you can know it, you can quote it, but you don't live it. That's the difference between a faithful and a faithless generation. So here, they're, they're, questioning the, they're questioning the disciples. They're kind of harassing them, disputing them. So verse 15 says, And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him saluted him, or they greeted him. So out of all of this, they see the disciples, they see the, the scribes, and when they see Jesus, they go to him and salute him. They're, because they know, here comes the man with the plan. Here comes the one that really knows what he's doing, what he's talking about. It says, and he asked the scribes. So, of course, he's probably you know, greeting the people, but he asked the scribes because he's 
wanting to get down to the heart of the issue here because they're harassing His disciples. <laughs> and like a good pastor that Jesus is, He doesn't allow His people to be harassed. <laughs> I know how you feel, Jesus. I don't like my people to be harassed either by spiritual warfare, by people's mouths, or however the case may be. So you go to bat for your people. Why? Because that's not the way God intended life to be is be harassed by the enemy. We have, in, we have victory over the enemy. But that usually comes through battles. Anyway, and he asked the scribes, what question ye with them? Or why are you, what are you discussing with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, now notice it's not the scribes that answered. It's one of the multitude. Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. He has a mute spirit. It means he can't speak. Not dumb as in silly. Can't, like he's just not all there. Like his elevator doesn't go all the way up. He's dumb. He can't talk. It says, and, whatso, and wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him. It's talking about the spirit. Wherever he, wherever he seizes him, he throws him down. And he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away, or he becomes rigid. And I spake to thy disciples that they should, cast, they should cast him out, and they could not. So here's the disciples. He's begging them to cast out this demon, and they can't. And he answered him, and he answered him, and said, and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. So the first thing Jesus calls out is their faithlessness. O faithless generation. How long shall I be with you? How long am I going to have to put up with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. <laughs> I will keep reading. And they brought unto him, and they and they brought him unto him. And when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him, or the spirit convulsed him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming, foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, How long? Is it a ghost since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. Or we would say from childhood. So already Jesus sees this. When they bring the boy to Jesus, this demon manifests, and it throws the boy on the ground, starts foaming at the mouth. So Jesus just doesn't run up and lay hands on him and start casting out. He looks at the father and says, how long has this been going on? Now there's, there's usually a reason. When Jesus asks questions, there's always a reason. And of course, the, man, the father answers and says, of a child. And oft times it cast him into the fire and into the waters. Let me back up. Notice it's one of the multitude that answered in verse 17. So this is the same person that Jesus is having this conversation with. They brought unto let's see, verse, verse 21. How long has it been going on? He says, of a child from childhood. And oft times it cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Notice this demon wants to put him in the fire, then put him in water. So it wants to burn him alive, and if it can't do that, it tries to drown him. And it says to destroy him, to kill him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. So this person, this person, now there's a reason I'm going, I'm going somewhere with this, because if you notice in verse 17, one of the multitude answered, and said, Master, I have, brought thee, I have brought unto thee my son. So this is the Father. So He's bringing Him to Jesus for something to be done. He's brought it to the disciples. They couldn't do anything. So He brings His Son to Jesus Christ. 
Verse 23, Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible unto all things are possible to him that believeth. He said, If you can believe, all things are possible to you that believe. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said, and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Now, let's, let's read verse 25. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter, and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Now, before we read any further, I want us to see the verse 22, it says that this demon cast him into the fire, cast him into water, trying to kill this boy from childhood. How many times, how many things in our life do we allow to pull us this way, allow to pull us this way, allow us to go back and forth from maybe the so-called fire or the water in our life trying to destroy us? And we just let it do whatever it wants to do. We let it pull it this way. Let it pull us this way. We let it pull us this way. And we just go back and forth, back and forth. And nothing ever is really resolved. But then when we seek help, we go to not the person that can really help us. We go to somebody that's maybe second in command. To say, oh, well, I don't, maybe I don't know where Jesus is, but we'll go to His disciples. We'll find one of them. That's the same as if somebody says, well, I don't really want to go to the pastor. Let me go to somebody else, which is not a bad thing. At least you're seeking help to some regard. But in this case, when you when you finally bring things to Jesus, when you finally bring things to Jesus and you declare your belief, that's when things can really change. Because let's look at it from the scripture here. They brought, they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, fell on the ground. He asked, how long has this been going on? He says, since the childhood. And he says, it cast him in the fire, cast him in the water to destroy him. He says, but if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us. He says, if you, if you can do anything, at least just have compassion on us and help us. He says, at the very least, just do that for us. He says, if you believe, all things are possible to him that believe. I think verse 24 is the key to why one of the keys to why the disciples couldn't cast this thing out. And straightway the father of the child cried. Notice it's a child. The father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. He says, I believe. He finally cries out in tears. Why? Because he's finally breaking down and saying, I need help. I believe in you, and I'm, I'm very serious about crying out unto you. I'm very serious about declaring I believe in you and that you can help me. You are the one that can help me above anybody else. Your disciples may not be able to help me, but you can help me. I believe, and he does it with tears. Why? Not for a show, not for to let everybody else around him just feel good and, oh, look at that. No, no, no. He does it with tears because he means business. 
Too many times we'll go after the disciples to help heal our bodies or help do this or do this in our life or pray for this or seek after this when we know the answer lies good and well in Jesus Christ, us going to Him with sincerity and crying out unto Him and allowing Him to make the change, Him to help us. But it, it, what it needs is for us to declare with our own mouth, I believe. I believe you can do this, Lord. I believe. And when, where I can't believe, help me with my unbelief. Where I don't, I'm not fully matured in my faith, help me with it. This is when things start turning around. Because this man, he, he finally got fed up and was tired of playing games. He's watched his son go through this. But it took the father. Why? Because he was the authority over this child's life. The child couldn't do it himself because he's not the authority of his own life. The father's the child of the, uh, is the authority of the child. Well, he said, well, what's it got to do with us, Pastor? You're the authority over your life. I can't pray and break things off of you. I can pray for you, maybe give you a little reprieve, but ultimately, each and every one of us have our own walk with God, and we've got to be the ones that's serious of crying out unto God, not with tears of emotion of just putting on a show before God, because God's not moved by that. What God is moved with is our sincerity of our heart, meaning I'm done with this God. I'm tired of playing games. I'm tired of being in the ditch. I'm tired of going to the fire. I'm tired of being put in the water. I'm tired of this demon trying to have his way with my life. I'm tired of being torn apart. I'm done with it. I want to, just, I want to declare my love and service unto you, so Help me, God. I need your help. I believe in you. You are what I have need of. And that's when God can finally do something with your life. It's when you lay everything out before Him. Oh, you mean being a living sacrifice. That you present your body a living sacrifice unto Him, which is our reasonable service. But this father, he cries out, Lord, I believe. But he says it with tears. So Jesus knows He means business. I've had people repent to me in private and mean nothing by it. Or, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, or they repented in private and then maybe as soon as they left had a change of heart. Well, I'm not really, I really don't want to, I really don't want to keep up with that. I want to do my own thing. That's sad. Because then why, then why even repent if you want to go back to your way of living or back to what you declared that you were repenting for? Why, why would you do that? Why would you play such a game? Because we can't play games with our eternity. We can't play games with God because He knows better. God knows our heart. He's not a man that He can be fooled and deceived. But when this man cried out with tears, I believe, Lord, I believe. Notice verse 17. He says, Master, I have brought, thee, I've brought, brought unto thee my son. He says, Master. He calls Him Teacher. But when He declares in verse 24, He calls Him Lord. There's a difference in having a teacher and having a Lord. There's a difference in people seeing Jesus as a teacher, who is, which Master, that's, they translate it that way, but it's Teacher in the Hebrew, Aramaic. It's, it's Teacher. So He's a Teacher. He's a Rabbi, which is just a Teacher. Some people will call me a preacher. That's fine. I'm a, I am a preacher. But only certain ones can call me their pastor. That's like other people can call me Pastor Caleb. Well, that's fine because you know, I am a pastor. But they may say that, but I'm not really their pastor. So they may call me a preacher. They may call me whatever. 
in that regard, but only some can call me their pastor. What I, the reason I'm splitting hairs on this is because one verse he calls him teacher, the other verse he calls him Lord. And when he calls him Lord and submits himself to him and tells him, I believe, that is when things change. That's when things turn around. So verse 25, And Jesus saw that the people came running together. He rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit. Now wait a minute. What's verse 17 say? I have brought, my, I have brought unto thee my son, son which have a, hath a dumb spirit. What's Jesus say? Thou dumb and deaf spirit. Maybe, just maybe, Jesus knew that this deaf spirit on his son was affecting the faith coming by hearing for the Father. Because if that's a deaf spirit causing the boy not to hear, because obviously the Father knows he's got a dumb spirit and Jesus calls that out, but Jesus adds deaf spirit. Maybe that deaf spirit is keeping the boy from hearing the Word of God, but it's also not just on him. It may be trying to have its way in the household of keeping everybody deaf and not building up faith. Which may be another reason Jesus says, Oh, faithless generation. Just something to think about. Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. So Jesus covers not only come out of him now, but don't go back in him. And the spirit cried and ran him sore and came out unto him, or came out of him, and he was as one who was dead. Let's skip down to verse 28. But when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? So they're trying to figure out, all right, God, all right, Lord, let's troubleshoot this. Why couldn't we do this? Because you've given us power to cast out demons. You've helped, you've given us this authority. So why couldn't we do this? Where, where are we missing it? Praise God for good disciples to, to look at the master and say, where are we missing it? That's discipleship. But see, you don't see that in too many churches anymore. Of saying, where, where, where am I missing it? Where am I missing it? Now, of course, in the church, you know, we can always talk to God. Where, where am I missing it, Lord? Because he'll be quick to show you. But also with your spiritual leaders. Where am I missing it? Where can you, do you see anything in my life? I like to ask my pastor that from time to time. Pastor, do you see anything that I need to work on? Is there something I'm missing? And I also like to get around other men of God that I trust and say, do you see anything that I'm missing? Why? Because I want to know, you know, what's, what's that for maybe something we can all understand? I'd like to know if my spiritual fly is down. Or I'd like to know if I've got toilet paper, you know, for you ladies, toilet paper hanging out somewhere in the, on your, you know, never mind. Y'all, all, all you ladies just looked at me like, mm-mm, don't go there, Pastor. Well, I already started it, so whatever. <laughs> but it's one of those to where when you got something going on we'll even go back to our God's graffiti example when you got a spiritual booger hanging out your nose you'd like for somebody to help you find it because you can't see it yourself you'd like for somebody to say hey you got that hanging out there you need to take care of that hey you got some toilet paper back here hey your fly's undone or however the case may be for somebody to help you out but sometimes we need to ask that question hey do, is there something that you see that I need to fix yes glad you asked I'm tired of staring at that big booger. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a third eye growing out there. Let's take care of that thing. Get that out of the way, so we don't have to stare at that. We can enjoy you for who you are and quit staring at that. 
anyway. <laughs> but with that, these disciples come to him privately. What, why couldn't we do this? Let's troubleshoot where we went wrong. And Jesus, verse 29, And he said unto them, This kind come out, this kind can come forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. This kind can come, can come forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. So in other words, unless you're praying and fasting, this won't come out. This is a strong, this is a strong demon. It has a strong grip and a strong hold. So you've got to get serious about your ways of combating this kind of demon. Which again shows us the sincerity required to be Christians in these last days. Because we are facing not just demons that are strong. Or we're not facing things that have never been faced before. We're facing more people that are giving in to this demonic activity or faithless generation. We're facing more people because it used to be many people believed. And they went to church. They would serve God. And then you had a handful that wouldn't. Maybe in a community. Then you got to where it was maybe 50-50. But now anymore, it's almost like the Christians are outnumbered by the pagans. Even more so, you have those that declare their Christianity will be generous. Half of them go to a lukewarm church so they don't really walk in the power of Christianity and the power of the Holy Spirit. They only walk in going to church, having their name on a roll that they mark the check off. Well, I done got a service this week. And then they walk back out. And that's all a deception to make the body of Christ weaker and weaker and weaker. So when you have this and you have the sincerity of the sincerity of your spiritual warfare of praying and fasting, wanting to cast out these demons, wanting to be a help to people around you, and even in our own life, praying and fasting and seeking God, that we can get this demon to quit buffeting us or quit harassing us or however you'd like to put it that we need to get serious about these things, and it requires us to dig in our faith and to be so bold to, to tell God that we mean business and we actually mean it. We can't be people of useless words. We can't be people of vain words. We've got to say what we mean and mean what we say. Father, I mean business. I want to get rid of this in my life. And we've got to take that ground and stand on it. Father, I'm taking this mountain. Give me my mountain. Help me to overcome it. Let me quit circling and let let me overcome it. Let me stop circling this thing and let me get victory over it. Where I can put your flag, my testimony, on top of this mountain and declare to everybody around me how you brought me victory. How you helped me overcome. That I killed every giant, every step of the way up on top of this mountain, climbing all the way up. And when I got up here, I could declare my victory and see how far God's brought me. But without prayer, without fasting, without crying out to God with, with actual, not with, not with just tears, but with a heart that means the same thing, with a heart that mean, means business with God, you won't get there. Because these are the last days when we must endure to be saved. We must endure. That doesn't mean, well, he's got to hang on, just find, just find you a grip and hang on for dear life and just pray that you make it. No, no, no. Endure means that you grab a hold of God, you don't let go, and you fight your battles. You take your ease when he says take ease, and then you keep fighting. Because with him, we have victory. With God, we have victory. So why do, we, why do so many quit when they're about to obtain victory? Amen. Verse 29 again, He said unto them, 
This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. So obviously, their faith slacked off when it came to prayer and fasting. Because that's what Jesus is telling him. He said, you didn't, you didn't keep your faith built up in prayer and fasting, so you weren't prepared for this. Where maybe an, as our faith slacked off, that when the enemy can maybe see it, or maybe he gets, I don't want to say lucky, but kind of throws that fiery dart, and because we haven't built our faith up in that area of our walk with God or in that area of our spiritual warfare that we've kind of slacked off, that the enemy penetrates and hits us at the right spot because we haven't built up our faith to put our shield in that area. Because remember, it's a shield of faith. So we've got to build up our faith in every area of of our spiritual walk with God, in every area of our spiritual warfare to have our victory. Amen. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Thank you, Father. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Let's start at verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, warn them that are insubordinate. It says, comfort the feeble-minded. Comfort the, the faint-hearted, the footnote in my Bible says. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. So notice, Paul writing to the church of Thessalonica, he says, we exhort you, brethren, so brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, warn them that are unruly, that are insubordinate. Warn them. Give them warnings. That's like with, with my children, unless, it's, unless we have warned them maybe the, the day or two before or even in the past, usually we don't discipline them the first time they do something. Why? Because there's going to be a warning. Because even the Word of God says to give a warning for those that are insubordinate or unruly. You give a warning. Hey, you keep this up, so this, whatever's going to happen. Or you're going to, have, you're going to bring judgment or wrath or however the case may be. You're going to bring something upon you because of your insubordination and because you're unruly. Just, so quit. Just stop. And it'll go well with you. But then he says, comfort the feeble-minded. Notice you don't comfort the unruly. You warn them. But you comfort the feeble-minded, or we would say the faint-hearted. Why are they faint-hearted? Probably because they've either been war-torn, they've been through so many things that they're, they're, they're lacking strength, they're getting worn down, so you comfort them, you help them. Or maybe they've had a loss. Maybe they've suffered something where they're needing comforting. But feeble-minded, it doesn't mean they're stupid. It just means they're faint-hearted. They've, they've, they've had so many things bombard their mind and trouble their life that they're, they're faint-hearted. They feel like quitting. But you comfort them and you help them. Then it says support the weak. So you support them. You lift them up. You help them. Give them strength. Encourage them. Don't let them quit. Be patient toward all men. Be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man. But ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. 
Pray without ceasing. Oh, pray without ceasing. What did Jesus say would help them overcome? Prayer and fasting. So we should build up our prayer life, build up our faith in our prayer life, that we pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean you pray 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and you just nonstop. That means you pray. And like sometimes I'll be working on my, you know, my job. I have a computer. I work remotely most of the time. And so I'm working, and I'll, just, I'll pray in tongues, or I'll start praying for somebody. If they cross my mind, I'll pray for them. And just throughout the day, I'll just pray. Why? Because, one, it, it edifies me, especially praying in tongues or however the case may be. I, I start edifying myself, praying, my, building myself up in my most holy faith, praying in tongues. But also, when people cross my mind, I start praying for them. Because maybe, maybe they're in need. And sometimes, I'll, if, if the Lord really burdens my heart about them, I'll send them a text. Hey, praying for you. Love you. Just thinking about you. And there's been times I've done that where people were like, Man, I really needed that. You don't know how much I needed that at this moment. Well, praise God. He knew I didn't. You just crossed my heart or crossed my mind, and I started praying for you. So it's one of those situations where that's why we pray without ceasing. doesn't mean 24-7, as we said. We just pray and have a, a prayer life that's continual. Verse 18, In everything give thanks. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ, Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit. You quench the Spirit when you lack faith and give over to flesh. That's when you quench the Spirit. Is when you, was when you're telling faith no, or we we'll say faith in God, and you're giving over to faithlessness, or giving over to flesh or sinful nature or other things, or maybe tradition or religiosity, because when you quench the Spirit, it's showing that you're building your faith in something else and less faith in God. And you begin to quench and begin to dry up what the Spirit can do, what the Spirit wants to do. So that's the reason Paul warns him, quench not the Spirit. Keep your faith built up and being led by the Spirit. Despise not prophesyings. Well, you have faith that helps you receive prophesyings, or prophecy, we could say. So don't despise them. Prove all things. That takes faith. It takes faith to prove things. To say, all right, I'm going to try this. I'm going to test this. I'm going to prove it. Because if you're doubting and unbelieving, then you're not going to see the answer if it's true. So you've got to have faith. Lord, help me to test this. Help me to prove this. Help me to show me the evidence that this is real or, or not. Show me, help me. Because I'm putting my faith in you to give me discernment or to give me wisdom to help be able to judge this. So, Father, my faith in you, so help me prove this. So, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. We would say abstain from every form of evil. That's important because that shows we've got to have faith in God and have the wisdom of God, rely on Him. Because, remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we need wisdom to abstain from every form of evil. I can't tell you how many times there's been something that's been brought to me or there was a situation in God's graffiti where somebody wanted to show a picture as a, as a point to teach with. And instantly, it was like the Holy Spirit said, don't do it, don't do it. And I was like, all right. Because at that time, I trusted this man. So I was like, like, sir, I don't think we should show that picture. I don't think we need to do that. And he was kind of like, well, why not? And I said, well, 
I said, because if somebody sees this picture without hearing you talk, they're going to see that. And because the way that we do our wrap-up videos or uh, kind of our recap videos, what we call it, I said, they could just see that picture and you standing in front of it, and they're not going to catch the heart of what you're trying to say, of how far God has brought you, what He's brought you out of, what He's done in your life and your testimony. Because all they're going to see is that picture and thinking that we're glorifying that. That was, the, that was the wisdom of the Holy Spirit because before that time, I would have never thought about that. But it was because I was that authority over God's graffiti that God put that in me to say, hey, use discernment in this. I was like, Phew. so when I got done, and I, and when I explained it to him, he said, he, said, he said, you know what? You're absolutely right. He said, I'm sorry, I didn't think about that. I said, no, you're good, you're good. So he found another picture to kind of be able to, it was a a better picture, a lot better picture, that was still able to get the point across of what he was getting at. But it was because of that authority, but it was my faith in God of crying out to him of help give me wisdom because we've been praying for months before that. Lord, give us wisdom in this. Help give us discernment. Help us to prove what needs to be done, what doesn't need to be done. It was our building our faith and knowing that God was helping us in every area of that moment and that's what we need to do from day to day. Lord, help me. Give me wisdom in what I need to do. But it requires our faith in God to move and to help us. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, which we just covered recently. But verse 24. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. So you mean God's faithful, Jesus is faithful, the Holy Spirit's faithful? Absolutely. If He's faithful, we should be faithful. So if we understand that we're not to be a faithless generation, we're to be a faithful generation. We're to be a faithful people. Because not only is it faithful of having faith in God, but we're faithful to what He's told us to do. We're faithful to live our life how He tells us to live it. Because He is faithful to answer us. He's faithful to be there to help us with our salvation. To help us with everything in our lives. He is faithful. So why aren't we faithful unto Him? The only thing that would cause you not to be faithful is when you haven't built up your faith to overcome something. Now, I'll give you an example. if If you're trying to overcome, we'll say pornography. If somebody's trying to overcome that, they stop building their faith and speaking to it and building their faith in it, what do you think the enemy's going to use to break down their faith? That pornography. Because if you haven't built up your faith, God, I, I, I rebuke this in my life. I'm not giving into it anymore. I declare that, I'm, that you are my God. I'm not giving into that. I serve you. I, don't, I abstain from every form of uh, evil. I abstain from the very appearance of it. I'm getting away from it. Father, I'm building my faith in you. I don't need that. I need you. I don't need that. I need you. You quit speaking to that long enough. When you quit speaking to it, the enemy's going to try to bring that back up. And he's going to keep bringing it back up until you quit speaking to it. And then your faith is lacking on that side. And you start getting a little heavy on this side because he's building your faith of, why don't you want to do it? Why don't you want to look? Why don't you want, it won't hurt to look one time. It won't hurt to look one time. And his voice gets louder and louder and louder. And you not shutting it up is you essentially saying, I'm letting myself be faithless in this area. Even though I may be faithful in these other areas, I'm going to be faithless over here. And if we're not careful, we'll give in to that faithlessness and he'll obtain victory over us. 
We've got to speak to all these things, but it requires us to be faithful. Father, help me in this area of my life. Help me to, be, help me to beat this area of my life. Now, you may not have to pray that every single day, but as soon as that voice pops up and says, hey, why don't you look at this? Nope. Father, help me to overcome this. You helped me overcome it before. I'm not going back now. So, Father, help me to build my faith in this because obviously the enemy sees this is a foxhole for me. So I'm going to overcome it. I'm not, going, I'm not going back to it. I've been delivered from that, and I'm not giving in again. That's what faithfulness requires. Faithfulness means you speak to it. You go back to it. You're faithful in covering it from time to time to time to time to time. We get this with jobs. We're faithful to our jobs. Why? Because you're expecting a paycheck. You're expecting to be rewarded for the work that you've done, or at least just showing up. <laughs> Anymore, that seems to be the, what everybody expects. Just show up, and you're supposed to pay me. I'm not supposed to do anything. I'm just supposed to show up, and you pay me. No, no, no. That's not, we're not, that goes with some jobs, but it also goes with some people's Christianity. We don't just show up and God rewards us. No, no, no. We're faithful to Him. We're faithful in doing our job of being a Christian. We're faithful in doing our job at the actual job site because that's what's rewarded is faithfulness. Faithful of doing. Not just showing up. Doing. But it says that faithful is He that calleth you who also will do it. So He'll do His part, but we're to be faithful in doing our part. Amen. So let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. We'll start there. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course, or it may run, it may be able to run, and be glorified even as, as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith. Hmm. So all men have not faith. Do you know faith is a key ingredient to being faithful? I think it's the first five letters of faithful is faith. You have faith in something. You have faith in your job, you're going to show up to work it. You have faith in your church, you should show up and be there for that service, every service. If you have faith in something, let's say... Being football season, you have faith in your team, you're going to watch the game or at least find a recap or at least pay attention to the score. Okay, that's you showing your faithfulness. But if some men don't have faith, that means they're not going to have faithfulness. We've got to be faithful. We've got to understand that not everybody around us has faith like we do. So with that, with that even being said, we can't, we can't pull back to other people's faithfulness. If that was the case, I'd have quite a bit of family would have us out of church in no time. Why you go to church so much? Why you go? Why you go to that other church? You're not the pastor there anymore. Why are you still going on Wednesday night? Because I serve under my pastor. I love my pastor. I want to be fed by my pastor. I want the word of God. I need more of church, not less of church. <laughs> Why you do Sunday school? Well, so we can teach the foundational doctrines of the Bible. I'm sorry that you don't love God. I'm sorry that you don't want to know more of the Word. Obviously, you have a faithfulness problem. 
I'm sorry you don't want to show up for pre-service prayer and be faithful to the house of God and pray and set the atmosphere, set your heart, push off the enemy where he's been bugging you all week and all weekend that you can focus on the things of God. I'm sorry that you don't love God that much. Oh, but you, you jump and click heels to get run to be faithful to your boss. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Oh, but you let the right person, let the right person ask you to do something. You'll be faithful to that. But God asks you just for your reasonable service to be a living sacrifice. Oh, God, I can't do that. Oh, God, I can't do that. <laughs> Amen. I think at the end of our lives, I don't think it's anybody else that will stand with us before God in judgment. I think it's Jesus Christ. So if you deny Him by being faithless to Him, He's probably not going to be faithful to you. He's probably going to say, well, at one time they were faithful to God, but they became faithless. They denied me by their action. With their mouth, they declared they loved me. With their mouth, they declared they served me, but their heart was far from me because they quit being faithful. They became faithless. They became exactly like the people I talked to in Mark. Mark chapter 9. Oh, faithless generation. Mm. Verse 3. But the Lord is faithful. But the Lord is faithful. You might want to help me remember. I think we're Christians, which is actually a term to mock people that believe Jesus Christ. But it stuck because they liked it. Hey, we'll be Christ-like. Amen. So, to be Christ-like, so if the Lord is faithful, we should be faithful. Just as much as God says He is holy, we're to be holy. Jesus is faithful, so we're to be faithful. But it says, but the Lord is faithful who establishes you, who establishes you and keeps you from evil. So if He is faithful to us, helps establish us, helps to get us going, and keeps us from evil, or keeps us from the evil one, why don't we be faithful to Him? To say, Father, help me to, help me to have a reason for you to guard me from the evil one. Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, if you're not serving Jesus, who, guess who you're serving? You're serving the evil one. And if you're serving Him, Jesus has no reason to guard you from Him. Because you belong to Him. So let's give Jesus a reason to have to guard us from the evil one. Because we're so on fire for God. Because we're so faithful to Him that the enemy has put our name out there and said, Hey, we're marking this person. We all need to gang up on this person. Because this person means business. This person has cried out unto God. They're being faithful to Him, to His kingdom. So we need to, get our, we need to raise our stakes in going after this person. Because they're wreaking havoc on our kingdom. That's the kind of testimony we should have. Because we're so faithful to God, we're shaking the very essence of hell. We're shaking the very kingdom of hell because we're getting people born again. Because we're standing the ground, our ground on the Word of God because we're not compromising. We're not allowing things to penetrate us, but we're penetrating the kingdom of God by getting people born again, by being salt and light, by helping everybody around us to understand who God is, who Jesus is, what He wants to do in their life. Because we're so faithful to speak not just faithful to, to stand there and look like an idiot. We're faithful to speak and to say, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. So when they ask you about the reason for your hope, you give them an answer. Let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus is the reason for my hope. He is my hope. Not a hope just to, be, to have a bless me club, but my hope for eternal salvation. My hope to have victory here. My hope for prosperity here. But He's my hope for everything in my life. 
Because I walk with Him, because I know Him, and He knows me. Verse 4, And we have confidence in the Lord touching you, or we would say concerning you. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you, that you both do and will do the things which we command you. So Paul is telling the church at Thessalonica, he says, we have confidence in you because you're faithful. We have confidence in you that you'll be faithful in doing and in doing presently and will do the things which we command you. Even the Word of God tells us that we are to give the things that we learn and, and receive unto faithful men. We're not just to give it to anybody as far as like the authority, as far as delegation, as far as other things of that nature. We're to give the things, the spiritual things unto faithful men, which means they have to be proven and tried and tested first, that they're faithful. Now, yes, you can evangelize to anybody, but when it comes to the, maybe the behind-the-scenes things or maybe the, the deeper things, because remember, the Word also tells us not to cast pearls before swine. Not to, Jesus even tells one lady that he does, He's not going to cast the, the children's bread before the dogs. That's a judgment. That's a, you're not faithful. You're not worthy. But at least that lady proved her faithfulness in saying, yea, Lord, but at least the dogs eat from the crumbs of the children's table. We get their leftovers. We get whatever they, they're not willing to pick up, whatever not, they're, not, they're not wanting to partake in, we can at least pick that up. And what's he do? He starts, he starts his conversation with her. He starts actually having an encounter with her, blesses her and helps her. But he proved her faithful first, that she wanted it. But Paul here says, we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. Verse 5, And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God, and into the patient waiting for Christ. Or the patience of Christ. The Lord direct your hearts. That takes faith. For, the, for you believing in the Lord for Him to direct you. Verse 6, Now we command, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. So in other words, withdraw yourselves from every brother. Notice that's fellow Christians that walk disorderly. What do we say in 1 Thessalonians? That you warn those that are unruly, that are insubordinate. You warn them. Here, this being the second letter to the Thessalonians, that Paul says, withdraw yourself from every believer that walks disorderly. They don't walk according to the Word of God. Why is that? Probably because they've lacked, they've pulled off their faith in walking with God. Now they've walked, because God likes things decently and in order, they've quit walking in order and are now walking out of order. They walk disorderly. That shows a lack of faith in putting themselves in the, in the will of God and in the things of God. And not after the tradition which He received of us. Verse 7, for, you, for yourselves know how you ought to follow us. You know how to be faithful. For we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, 
but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be changeable to any of you. He says, we didn't eat any, anybody's bread free of charge, and we worked with labor and travail day and night, or labor and toil day, night and day, that we may not be a burden unto you, to any of you. So in other words, Paul said we were faithful not to just eat anybody's meal free of charge. We worked ourselves day and night because we wanted the ministry to keep going. We wanted the Word to keep going. And to not be a burden to you, we actually done our jobs. We done what we needed to do to be faithful even in the natural things. That it wouldn't be a burden to anybody else. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example, in sample, unto you, or it means example, unto you to follow us. So he says, so if you really want to prove your faithfulness, do what it takes to keep the ministry going. Do what it takes to remain a Christian. Do what it takes to prove that you have faith in God and nothing's going to make you waver from it. So may we not be a faithless generation. May we be a faithful generation unto God. May we prove that we mean business with Him. And we're not just, not just putting on a show for anybody. We actually mean business. When the things try to pull us to the fire, try to pull us to the water, then we remain faithful and say, God, I mean business. I need you. I need you in my life. You're the one I have need of. So have your way. Help me to build my faith where, I, where I'm lacking faith. But God, I believe in you and I do have faith in you. Remember, Jesus said it says he said it's a faith the size of a mustard seed. A mustard seed can move a mountain. That doesn't sound like a lot of faith. Really, it's not. So God doesn't require this big mountain of faith to finally do something. All God's asking is for a little. But that little mustard seed should begin to grow and to produce something great in our life. That it builds our faith. And we continue to hear the Word of God and to continue building our faith in every area of our life. That we become faithful and we're known for our faithfulness. Not just on our job site, not just in the natural. We're, we're faithful in the regard of the kingdom of heaven. We're faithful of our reputation. Everybody around us even may, that may or may not go to our church knows that we're faithful to the kingdom of God. We're faithful to Him. And we don't quit. We don't back down. Amen. Amen.